2: Was it Melbourne you guys were in? You put a video up on the YouTube.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sydney Mind Music Ball. Confusing name for people not from Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> given it has the word Sydney in it, even with the different spelling, you know.
2: <laughs> so was that a, was that a half capacity?
0: or Was that a? Oh, uh, It was like a a third capacity, I would say. Um, the usual cap you can you can go up to twelve thousand at that venue. Um, wow. And it was like 27, 2,800. That night, but twelve thousand. If you're greedy and sell too many tickets, comfortably within eight to ten thousand, I would say. But yeah,
2: so that's like stadium size usually. Yeah,
0: it's it's yeah, a phenomenal venue though. It's like <laughs> it's fucking huge.
1: So beautiful, like really amazing purpose-built live music venue. it's incredible amphitheater and this huge sort of like counter-levered um, sort of roof across the stage and just like amazing production and stuff.
2: Quite beautiful. Yeah. Oh, there are there quite a lot of outdoor venues in Australia like that? You kind of amphitheaters. there actually
0: are yeah it feels like it like every city's got at least one or two decent outdoor amphitheater venues like we've got uh, a couple here in perth and then brisbane there's the river stage which is another like it's on the river obviously (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah it yeah it seems to be that way especially in summer those venues really start well i mean traditionally have had so many shows go through them that's um yeah very iconic spaces
2: how's that for you acoustically like performing in an outdoor space compared to you know your kind of standard indoor venue I prefer it
1: personally because I don't have like I've got no wash from, fold, um, from the PA <clears throat> vocally and then it's nice not having the crowd as loud in your ears you know There's sort of like you're not fighting too you're not fighting your in-ears versus the environment around you it's harder for lights I think <clears throat> to get a real feel for the place and I don't know about front of house I don't know if Jez our front of house guy if he has a preference but I prefer for us to play outside.
0: Yeah, I think I do too. I, I, it's just pretty that way as well. A lot of the time. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Which it rarely is, but we had some fucking freezing shows over the last month or two now that we're actually in winter <laughs> and I actually have a cold. So I apologise for my bizarre voice <laughs> right now.
2: How cold is Australian
0: winter, though? Oh, it's fine. We don't, we, it, like, it depends where you are, but here in WA... We'll get like some 10, 10, 11, 12 degree days um, Celsius, that is. And that's about the worst of it, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Does it get get colder than that? I don't don't think think so.
1: No. That's summer for Scotland. (laughs) Yeah. When we were playing in, like, we played in a place called Mudgie in New South Wales uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that got down to negative two the day we arrived overnight. And I think it only, it, it peaked at like 10. So like, that was kind of, that's pretty cold. And we were on stage outdoors and it would have been, I think it was like seven degrees or six degrees, which is like fucking cold if you're on stage outside.
2: I guess if you're used to it being like 30 degree summers as well. Yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah, we probably sound a bit spoiled here, Definitely. but honestly, that's uh, that's the coldest environment I've been in since I was like overseas or something. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How long have you guys been living together now then?
0: Like at least two or three years, right? Yeah. I, think I two- remember 2018, we moved in together for the first time.
2: Yeah. And prior to that, Kieran had, like, stayed,
1: lived with me for, like, a summer here and there. Then we moved, we we lived apart for nearly a year up until, like, August last year, um, in between rentals sort of thing. But, yeah, I'm off for a while
2: now. Okay, yeah. so you were both separate, and then August last year you moved back in together again.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Just through that COVID period, um, everyone was in fucking bizarre living situations, and no one had any plans to do anything. It was very much, like, just waiting for things to to turn around or something i don't really yeah I
1: don't yeah really know. i know mean, I I mean, we actually got like we got booted from a house at at the end of the lease because i mean i won't go into details but there was an issue with the landlord basically. <laughs> and so we had and it wasn't either of our faults no,
0: by the way i just want to make that very clear i'll die on that hill
1: yeah no shit <laughs> sure. um and then so we it's like finding a house is so hard because we couldn't get a good reference it was really it was really rough actually and then when we went to look for houses like for house the second time after sort of like it was august last year like everyone had moved back i'm sure it was the same scotland like everyone's moved home from overseas and so like the like the rental market's just flooded and we we're like oh god we can't find a single house disastrous actually we got there in the end but it was some stressful
2: times <laughs> I'm in the same spot at the minute. We're trying to find a place. I'm in Aberdeen right now and we're trying to find a place in Glasgow and it's mental. Like every flat, like 200 people applying for it and stuff. Like, yeah. It's That's
1: the stats we're having here as well. Like, and usually Perth's like so chill for real estate. You need to get a house no matter what because like no one really stays here. Everyone just moves away. All of a sudden everyone wants to be here. It's quite it's quite fucking annoying actually.
2: Why does everyone move away? Well, just because it's like, it's just
0: slow. Travel and, yeah. and stuff, I guess.
1: Yeah. No, I think, yeah, travel. It's, young, it's beautiful
0: yeah, young, young people... It's the perfect city to like raise a family. Actually, uh, what's the stat? It's like the fourth most livable city in the world now. Some, some nah, shit like I think that, or is that Adelaide? Ad
1: yeah, six.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go, though. Pretty good. Um, something to be proud of. <laughs> I will cuddle that thought as I fall asleep tonight. It's going to be awesome.
2: You're saying it's a little bit slower. How is that for you creatively? Does that kind of help? Just that slightly slower pace of life. I don't know how, I don't know how it compares
1: to like other um, sort of working environments. But like I've, I'm from a small town called Geraldton, a few hundred Ks north of Perth, which is even slower. And it's just kind of what I'm used to. Like I enjoy going to the city, like to different cities. And like that sort of for those periods of time that we're touring, it's quite exciting. But uh, I mean, definitely when, when I come home, I enjoy that, like that slow and pace, I guess, like just to sort of take it easy for a while.
2: When you come home to Perth or when you go home to, you say Geraldton? Oh, to Perth. Yeah, I haven't lived in Geraldton
1: for seven seven or so years. But Perth's kind of like big Jordan that's still very coastal and, you know, it's just chilling. It's very like urban sprawly, like there's not many apartments, everything's just like, it could be frustrating, but I think overall, I think it's sort of just how the way, just the way that I've grown up and what I, the kind of lifestyle that I enjoy.
2: Is Perth not also like the biggest port in Australia or something as well? I
1: don't think it's the biggest port. I feel like Sydney, or Melbourne, no idea. Sydney or Melbourne would be, I'm pretty sure. It's pretty big, Fremantle port, but I don't think it's uh, the the biggest it's a very isolated place. It's like the first, the most isolated capital city or something. Like some stat that always gets thrown
2: around. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what's um? you something you? Holy blur- shit!
0: No way. Well, I, I was gonna, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. <laughs> the biggest port in Australia is the port of Headland. Oh,
1: Port
2: Headland! No way.
0: As well as all of yeah, <laughs> Port Headland. That fucking place. Jesus. Oh my god. It's yeah. like an. That's like an iron what's Lord. Port
1: Headland? Man, that's a fucking. That's a town. That one. Holy shit. <laughs>
0: yeah we, we played there last year it was a lot it's, it's it was fun but like damn it's the wild it's like
1: the proper wild west it's like northwestern australia like full-blown like mine mining like iron ore belt it's called the pilbara this region and like yeah it's just full-on you know it's just uh hivers cowboys it's going
0: off when we the show itself the show itself was real good yeah but rocking up it's like just all, all just dudes in high vis and stuff it's a different a different thing entirely wait sorry i i'm gonna fact check myself for some reason it, it said it was the biggest one but it's actually the fifth biggest the big one biggest one is brisbane oh, brisbane okay
1: so, uh, so there you go lots of conflicting information here definitely not perfect <laughs> yeah no that's no. for sure
2: what's uh what's something you've learned about each other since living together since august last year that you didn't know previously since august last know. year i don't think i've learned
0: yeah no, not i feel like much. the dynamic has stayed the same basically since we first lived together mm. that's pretty much like it's been like me doing very little um <laughs> in terms of general you know making mess or cleaning mess on mm. both sides of the equation. It's kind of like, I, I just, I'm zero. It's like, like net, net zero. zero. Yeah. And <laughs> I would say Caleb's picked up a lot more houseplants and mm. things like that.
1: I've definitely become, yeah, I've become more garden obsessed. Now we're in a nice house with a garden or well, kind of nice. It's like a cottage sort of thing. And it's getting, you know, we previous to this. We lived in like real, like classic, like uni share houses, you know, where they're just like trashed all the time. So we're kind of like figuring out how to <clears throat> be adults and like have a nice little place that we take a bit of pride in. It's been a good experience,
2: but lots of gardening now. And this quaint little cottage.
1: Yeah, yeah. it is so cold in here. Like it's we got home for like from from a three week tour um a few days ago. And it's just been like colder in the house and it's been outside the whole time. I just can't figure out why. Like no amount of sun during the day seems to warm it up enough. It's just like miserable. We we're gonna get some heaters or well, something
2: you just gotta get in that garden yeah that's
1: it But it's raining as well so I don't know man it's just I'm stuck what do I do
0: why the <laughs> fuck is it wa- it's raining all week the moment we get back yeah it's bullshit it's so man. unlike Perth to be like I get that. sick it's raining it's <laughs> cold yeah just bizarre
1: yeah we're stoked obviously as you can tell we're all very happy <laughs>
2: <laughs> where is this uh, where is this desire for gardening coming from what's the feel on
1: that that's a good question I actually don't know. I can't I couldn't tell you where. I've also like recently I made some I made some lounges, like some sofas, sort of thing. Um I just like like using my hands with stuff. It's really fun. I like getting away from uh music and that sort of thing for a little while when I can. I think because gardening I feel like once you start, I think everyone can find something in that like there's a sense of pride when you when something like grows successfully you're like yeah i did that you know it's like this like a little it's like a child (laughs) i assume that's what a child's like i guess it's like you like you make something you're like yeah i'm proud of that look how good it's going i think everyone could like if everyone tried gardening at some point they would they would find some joy in it i think
2: that kind of comes back to sunlight a little bit (laughs) yeah carrying on with that gardening metaphor it does actually by metaphor for a plan, rather. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good... that Yeah, the sunlight metaphor is like the... It's like, it was actually in, about indoor plants. You know, you're like, you're supposed to give them a certain amount of sunlight, a certain percentage. It's kind of like how, you know, like a relationship is like, like an indoor plant. you like, you you sort of think you know how much of the right thing to give it, but half the time you end up just killing it anyway. <laughs> on one of the plants that my
0: x gave me i just saw it just before i was cleaning my room a little bit and it's just so fucking it's so dead i've never seen a plant as dead as it was just because we've been away for three months i don't know why you'd buy someone who regularly goes on tour an indoor plant like what do you what do you expect is gonna happen
2: how <laughs> dare you when you when you come up with that metaphor is that something that just comes out through the process of writing or is that an idea that you can have preconceived and you want to build a song around it
1: the song itself was written at the back end of the album <clears throat> and kind of what I've, what I've seen a farm of the records like as you as you put it together it becomes stronger thematically the longer you go just because you've got a bit of a foundation of ideas to build the next songs on and so I think you know the there's a lot of stories of, um, you know, just like relationship problems and and working through that as a a young adult. Um, And I sort of, by the time we got to the end of the record, I sort of realised that that theme was quite strong. So the song Sunlight was written first and named that just as like a sort of an interesting idea. Um, And then it seemed to be quite fitting for the rest of the record,
2: I suppose. Do... Do you remember the first song that you wrote as a band where you kind of found your own voice in that way and broke free of your influences?
1: I honestly think like as early as a song like Feeding the Family, which is off our first EP, it was, I guess, not that really like sort of six-string bar chord, heavy sort of rocky sound. Um, it's definitely like by the end of it, it's quite. it's got this like pretty big psyche sort of bridge outro thing. But the the verses, what well, Ashton and I are doing with guitars and even um, um, Amelia, it was Amelia's bass riff there, they're all quite like, not like at all traditionally rocky um, and in that indie world, I suppose. But I guess like it, I can't really, when I listen to that song, I don't really know what it sounds like, you know, other than us, I suppose. Um, so I think that was probably a good point for us and we were really proud of that song initially like as soon as we did it we're like oh this is great like everyone's doing something a bit weird here it doesn't really conform to what we think is you know what our influencers would do I suppose
2: Does that change your approach going forward once you kind of break that ground? I think so like a lot of the stuff on the, the rest of that
1: EP especially the following EP there was pretty heavy disregard for like traditional song structures um and I guess, like a real desire to explore, you know, different ways of arranging and composing things. And that was really good, I guess, in the sense that we didn't really have any fear of, like, how something, or like, of, of I guess, misstepping, I suppose. There wasn't really any pressure, and we also didn't feel like there was a, a you know, a structure we had to follow. And that was good for those, those first few EPs. I think we sort of pushed a few like boundaries in terms of like what people would accept as a song, I guess, like how they would, if they'd be happy with a certain like structure, a
0: 16 bar guitar solo. Yeah. At the end the feeding the family for example.
1: Yeah. or like old enough as a song in this like little a side thing we put out, whereas like basically just three completely different sections, one after the other. And like, there's no real chorus, no real hook. And I don't know, we were just like, we, we're like, that's cool. You know, like we like that. But I guess the more we've, written and the more we've put stuff together it's like you kind of come to understand that you know in the world that we operate in musically there's certain things that people want to have in a song that to to make it feel like they've you know they can relate to it I suppose they can't just be like too crazy What would you say those things are? (laughs) Um, Well that's a good question I suppose like we've spent a lot of time like I guess people don't want you to indulge too much I think well I'm not saying people don't want but I think like even when I listen to music it's like when something's good and something has its place, like you just want it to sit there for the right amount of time. And then when the next bit comes, you kind of want to almost be able to predict it, but not be able to do it yourself, if that makes sense. So when like a good bit comes on, like the next part of a song, you're like, oh, fuck, it's like that's perfect. But it should be that no one else could have done it. That's what makes it special and unique. But people kind of felt like that's the direction it should go in. So I suppose that's like the biggest thing is like thinking about like how, how a song should evolve as it goes, like not just like what crazy ideas you have. It's like trying to imagine that there are some rules around it or something.
2: It's almost like a movie. Like you know the good guy's going to win in the end, but you don't know how he's going to get there.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it, for sure. It's like there's, there's <laughs> genre conventions, basically.
2: How does that function as well for someone like the, the Triple J, like a version, the Here Comes the Sun? How do you go about making a, i was going to say making a Beatles song better i don't know if that's the right phrase but yeah. you know what i mean how do you go about making that your own without going too far with it it's a similar thing in terms of anticipating what the audience want
0: uh with so much trepidation and and anxiety and nerves <laughs> about doing it
2: yeah
1: you know, like. a weird one like the the beauty of a Beatles song is that like foundationally that <clears throat> was they're so good They're not really. They mean like if they are dressed up, they're dressed up on top of something that's already really amazing, and so it's like you don't have to do anything too like fantastic to it to pull the essence out of it or whatever and make it work. For that song, we just tried to be like really like true to who how we play and what we are, and then like figure out if we felt like we had done it justice enough and also taken it and done something unique enough with it so that it was worth presenting. But also to be honest, like. Like a version, that whole thing is like, can be so stressful, you know, like the pressure's on for those sorts of, for that experience and you don't want to like, the, the audience and the reach of it is so massive. So I guess we, I'm not sure if we felt like, we've talked about this, Kieran, like next time we do it, if we get to do it again, I think we'll try and not worry about it so much because I think the stress of it and like the weight of it sort of really got to us.
0: Yeah, I think so. And just being able to let loose is something that comes across in the performance of those things and it wasn't something we were thinking about at all we were thinking about how do we do the right cover how do we do the cover as well as we possibly can versus you know just letting go and and you know having a good time with it but we did actually enjoy the process of learning the song it was just putting it in front of as many eyes as we thought there would be on it which there are with like a version it's like a very much an Australian institution um with triple j sort of it's it's their thing it's huge so the pressure was pretty strong but yeah i'm looking forward to doing it again just knowing what the whole experience is like knowing how to do it and how to approach it it feels like any band that gets to do it multiple times it just gets better each time
2: do you think that's because like you're saying the pressure's off the second time
0: well hopefully yeah that's how i'm envisioning it playing out but maybe it's just more (laughs) who knows maybe we'll just get straight back in our heads about it
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's anyone's guess
2: does that ever happen to you I mean that's interesting did that happen to you when you're making the debut record as well because it's a similar thing of there's a lot of pressure for that
0: with the like a version thing it's like it's tangible anticipation from a lot of people that are expecting a thing with the debut record it was kind of like oh we can do what we want as our first album it was just like put together songs that we really love and and that's what happened and it, it felt very much like
1: pretty happy-go-lucky in a sense a
0: like. different kind of thing
1: yeah I mean I, I agree with that fully it didn't feel like there was much expectation I suppose like I, there was like a sense of us just like feeling it out a little bit and like figuring out how to put a record together like you know that's sort of just because you can make music and record music and play live doesn't really mean you know how to put an album together, like that's a whole nother experience. um and because we were doing it without a and r or anything like that, it was sort of like pretty, pretty fun, like pretty like we, there wasn't a lot of pressure to you know not misstep or anything like that. We were just sort of with our four heads and and our producer parko together, we just sort of hoped that it would come out okay. you know, luckily, I think it did in the end um but now i suppose knowing the process and feeling like there's a larger audience that pressure kind of goes up for future stuff
2: did it help having it's interesting what you were saying there about just because you know how to write and record doesn't mean you know how to put an album together is that why you recorded 18 songs so you would have a little bit of space to kind of sculpt if you needed to
1: i think that actually helped in the end but that wasn't the reason we did it to begin with the reason we did it to begin with just you know did it sort of piecemeals because we, you know, we didn't really have the money or the time. You know, we were all either studying or working full time and we were still a reasonably small band when we started out on it. And we also didn't have a label and we kind of we didn't know exactly when it would be a good time to put a record out. So there was a bunch of facts that contributed to it being recorded, you know, song by song over a long period of time. Um but yeah, like you say, like in the end that gave us the opportunity to to step away from the whole process and the songs for months at a time then revisit them with sort of fresh eyes or fresh ears I guess and 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 figure out what needed to happen next so is like a bit by bit sort of thing.
2: That's interesting what you were saying as well that when you started out you didn't have a label or anything and you were all still working full time. Was it a case of over the year of making that record, the momentum was kind of increasing and the band was starting to take off in tandem with you finishing the album?
0: Yeah, pretty much exactly what happened, it feels like, yeah. Between the start of 2019 and the end, so much, you know, happened and it was very much alongside a whole bunch of recording sessions that would then form the entire record. That was, yeah, basically what happened. Very fortuitous, like super lucky it worked out that way.
1: I mean, the record coming out was probably the you know, sort of when it really culminated all together, I suppose. Um, but the little bits that happened pre that probably gave it the platform that it, you know, just enough of a platform for it to make a bit of a have 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 its moment in Australia, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like 2019 for us was a very essential building block towards putting out an album to a an audience that we didn't realize it at the time, but that we'd worked pretty hard to build and that we re- were really ready for something like that. Um, like 2019 for me stands out because of like splendor and big sound these these huge sort of huge in different ways festivals that we had the opportunity to play and that really put us on the map a bit to you know the general public as well as the industry sort of side people that we then go on to work with with AWOL in particular who we signed with basically at big sound and um which is it's like this industry conference here um maybe you would have heard of it but all of this sort of stuff, yeah, I guess in terms of milestones and we had that sort of when things started to really pick up traction in my mind, like that first sold out tour after Big Sound, um, I think it was in November 2019 was sort of the like, that's when we started thinking, hey, maybe this could be a thing and started dropping our other, um, I don't know, commitments
2: how do you think your approach to the album would have differed had you started at the end of 2019 instead of the beginning?
1: We would have been, I guess we would have had more time to sit down in one place and, and start working on it. We would have had more time to to do it in, in longer chunks, I suppose. And I, I could see how that could, I mean, that's, you know, been helpful this time around with this record. But I think that the, there's a sense of like uh, innocence and in the, in in sunlight and there's kind of this feeling to me that it's a little bit disjointed sometimes and that it's like it's still not like a perfectly manicured record for us um and i and i think that that's sort of part of the charm of the album maybe in some ways so i think it would have lost that a little bit i think it would have lost some of the looseness about it and it's quite diverse sounding record for us and that i guess it wouldn't have been so much that way if it had been recorded in that shorter period of time, when we were a bit more sure of ourselves,
2: with what you were saying there, I know you've described it in the past as well as an album of apologies. Would you say that sometimes you felt a little bit disjointed? Is it almost like twelve short stories taken from the same period? Yeah, well, it's like twelve
1: twelve little stories taken from like two and a half years, even longer, three years, and there's also some like things about childhood stuff as well. So it's 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 from a, a lot of different um, periods and relationships and things like that throughout my life. So it's it's definitely. I suppose conceptually it comes together because it touches on similar issues, but, you know, in terms of it being, you know, a timeline and actual events, it's very much all over the show.
2: Why did you decide to pull from childhood as well when the bulk of the memories were kind of taken from that two and a half, three year period? What brought you back that far? I
1: suppose there's a sense of trying to understand why. you are by the way, you are the way you are, um, and I guess for me, you know, there's been a sense of trying to understand what you know why things that I'm struggling with now, like how they might be, you know, a function of stuff that I haven't resolved from you know when I was younger, um, and like coming to terms with that, you know, especially through therapy and things like that, um, was something that's something that I've dealt with over the last couple of years, I suppose. It felt important to talk about them alongside what was happening currently in my life because they were quite intertwined.
2: Yeah, it's that kind of age old thing that you spend the second 20 years of your life trying to figure out what the fuck happened in the first 20.
1: Yeah, basically. <laughs> so that's good. I'm four years into that. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did going to therapy change your songwriting in any way as you start to look at your emotions in your life from a slightly different perspective?
1: Uh, yeah, I think there's less... And on this record, there's probably less like, like soul-searching in a sense. I like I've understood some things that previously I was trying to work out through songwriting. And so maybe there's less like, you know, I'm this, this, and this, like look at me or whatever. Um, probably trying to be le- less like inward looking, I suppose, in, in this songwriting. Um, and I'd say that's probably part of like tying up loose ends through therapy, I suppose, like stops the need for you to continue to think about and talk about these things.
2: How does the desire to write a song about something you see in front of you happening differ to the desire to look inward and try and find something to write a song about?
1: I think you've got to focus on it being more universal in what you're talking about. Because I guess I got sort of got lucky in the sense that when I was talking about just things that I've experienced and things that I felt, that it's sort of lucky that it's a fairly universal experience for me as it is. Um, or for other people you know what I'm going through like it's kind of a lot of people who dealt with all the same shit over and over and over again it's not groundbreaking Um, and so it connects with people in that sense but then when you're trying to understand something from more of like a cultural level or whatever like when I'm trying to talk about certain things I'm feeling at this age that other people might be feeling I guess it's if you're openly writing about a group experience I guess you need to make sure you sort of know what you're talking about as opposed to just sort of spewing out whatever you're feeling at the time
2: slightly different pressure
1: yeah I'd say so you know
2: especially if I'm if
1: I'm gonna be like really open about what the album's about and and sort of try and speak on behalf of people I suppose then yeah you, there's definitely a pressure involved there
2: here and when you're writing the drum parts as well are you very much trying to l- relate and tap into what the song is about to fuel that or are you just playing for the song at large how do you kind of go about that
0: it tends to be mostly a feel thing for me personally I, I, I like the idea of drummers that serve songs the best and I very much notice parts that stick out and are overplayed in other songs even songs that I like tend to think that over time my lean in writing parts has always it started to move towards simplifying things yeah i don't know if i really think too hard about the emotional meaning of of songs while writing drum parts to be honest it's more about the musicality of it a lot of the time um when we're jamming songs out or or sort of in the process of writing as well that. The tones can be clear but the lyrics maybe aren't there and, and we sort of work towards an end goal and all the, the sonics that build towards sort of the emotional conclusion of what the song will sound like tends to come from production I think and, and the drum parts themselves are fairly standalone I think um, and that's sort of the way that I've always thought about it um, at, least, at least for Sunlight and, and I guess for this next record as well.
2: It's interesting what you were saying there as well about simplifying things a little bit. Was that an easy transition for you to make? Because I know when I sometimes speak to different artists, they talk about being a little bit reluctant to simplify and then eventually they give into it.
0: Yeah, I think for me personally, it was pretty easy because it gets to a point of like, my technical ability as a drummer has definitely improved in the last five years or at least I hope it has right um so I can do all all this stuff that I couldn't do before and the first time I learned how to do all this stuff say I learn a new fill or whatever I'd want to throw it immediately into a song but that's not really the point if it doesn't work in the song it doesn't work in the song and and sort of working out that like in particular some of the stuff that we've been writing lately I need to sit back and sort of let The focal point of the tracks be the lyrics or the melodies, as opposed to sort of any fancy playing. You know, we're not a like metalcore band at all or anything like that, we're not a pop punk band. I don't want to be shredding, I want to be just sat right in the middle, um, you know, keeping things steady without anyone ever knowing what I look like because you know, then I can go to the shops and
1: not be bothered. (laughs) Everyone knows what you look like, dude. (laughs) <laughs> Most lovable face in Australia. I thought that was the yellow wiggle. True, it probably is.
2: So that it sounds like that process of simplifying very much came from becoming more accustomed to writing for the song.
0: Yeah, I think so. Or at least that's how I like to think about it. At the end of the day, maybe I'm not actually thinking about anything at all. I'm just hitting shit. Like it's just uh, it's just music at the end of the day, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had that thing like as a band. I remember after the first EP, probably where we were just, like, sick of there being so much going on. Like, we were all doing something consistently, like, from, like, Go To Woe, like, the whole song would just be nonstop stuff. I don't know if it's because of what we were listening to or or something like that or what changed about it, but I just remember there was, like, we all had this, like, real strong push to just strip things back and just stop filling the space so intensely, like, realising it didn't have to happen as much. And I think, actually, um, Dave Park and the guy that did, Sunlight with us, and part of the, the EP before that. I think that was something that he kind of pushed for, and was like, "Oh, you can, you can just do nothing here. Like, you don't actually have to always be doing something." And that was kind of a foreign concept to us, I suppose, and we really grabbed that idea and, and ran with it. Um, and now I think like that's one of the, our most important, most important parts of arranging songs for us is like, okay, how do you create space here? Like, like, like it's easy to. It's like with a word count. You know, I feel like you're always a thousand words over with a song and you've got to figure out how the, how the fuck you pull it down so it like feels like it's got enough room in it.
2: <laughs> that's maybe a thing that comes from making an album too, though, because that's less easy to notice when you're just creating singles, but on an album you do need that space. It's more important. For sure, yeah. It's got to an ebb
1: and flow and, um, not, and that's not just like song to song, but yeah, it's within songs as, as well.
2: When it comes to that ebb and flow on the record how long did it take for you to kind of find the rhythm of the track listing and find out how it sat best and moved from song to song
1: i think we worked on it over a few days it's just like certain things i felt we knew were going to be like in like places like i knew we wanted to end on sunlight and like start with good few for some reason i was just like those sort of felt good for us and then yeah i don't know i can't even remember just like a lot of trial and error like what do you it put felt, this here? it felt
0: pretty easy i remember we, there wasn't a lot of back and forth it was sort of like no one argued no one like it, we just sort of all agreed almost immediately on a bunch of conclusions that we came to i'm glad it worked out the way it did like having side a and this isn't something we even thought of but having side a end with booster seat so it's sort of it's still got that transition track five to six between Wasted On Me and Booster C and just sort of like little things like that when I listen to the record which I've only done a couple of times on vinyl like I would say tops three times but it flows really nicely and it's we did think about it but I never thought of how significant an effect it would have so it's kind of yeah it's definitely worked out pretty well there
1: there's there's things like make sure they're not in the same or like where possible don't have two songs in the same key or the same tempo butted up against each other so it's you know people there's like a discernible change in the song and i think the other thing that we thought about i remember our producer parko put us on this as well he's like it should when it finishes you should be like oh shit it's over not like when is this going to end like the record so it should have a sense of it like flowing and it being over faster than you want it to be over because that's when you know you haven't been bored at any point you've always been like excited and anticipated everything
2: when you were figuring out that flow, was that something you did in the live room before you recorded, or was that only done after everything had been committed to tape?
1: Very much at the end, once like things were mixed, pretty much, mostly mixed. I think we started
2: doing that. How does your idea of a song change when that happens? Actually, because it's always interesting how much of an impact a good mix can have on your perception of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes a massive difference. Even like a, more and more, I'm noticing how much difference a master makes, although I didn't really think that I had, you know, a discernible impact for the you know the average sort of listener like myself but I think the thing about a good mix it sort of takes away the like anything that's unsure about the song sort of levels the playing field between songs when you get a mix at the same place and sort of you get to appreciate them slightly more objectively I would say as opposed to like thinking about the little it's easy to hear the little bit that you did when you're listening to an unmixed version because like you can hear it in that raw state whereas when things have sort of been leveled out and put in their right place. I think you just hear it as a song as opposed to all its individual things. And that definitely gives you a better idea of the mood of everything.
2: Yeah, it comes back to that idea what we're saying about everything kind of feeling together as opposed to being individual things all kind of flying for space. Yeah, that's it. I kinda of, we touched upon that we quote a little bit earlier on as well, of it being an album of apologies. How many of those apologies have been fulfilled in real life before being thrown into the music?
1: All of them to a degree, you know, like it's there's a difference between there being an apology and a reconciliation, I suppose. And I would say that there's not a great deal of reconciliation that's come from it, but, you know, the apologies and the, some sort of the walking through or talking through the, the issues had happened to a degree. The final manifestation of it is when it comes out in a song. It sort of like reaches its final point and you sort of want to tie it off in that moment and leave it as is and it kind of I think the issue with some of it is that it's a bit things it's sort of open-ended so nothing's really like been tied off in that sense
2: when you were saying reconciliation as well there do you mean reconciliation with yourself and the person or just reconciliation within yourself
1: uh m- myself and the person mostly yeah like it's not like we're all chummy and stuff everyone that, you know that I've sort of went through that process with
2: can you get closure on a situation even when it is still open-ended in that way
1: i think the closure that you come to is a sense of recognizing that the things that you've done and the person that you've been in the past you know they shouldn't always they're not going to be there forever there's got to be like a sense of like forgiveness of yourself and letting the past be the past I think that's when the closure comes I I mean I always had this serious like guilt complex where I just like things that I felt like I'd done wrong or like things I could have done better would really hang over me and eat away at me Um, and like if you're going to be like that then nothing even if if someone says like it's okay I forgive you it's fine it's never going to be resolved or reconciled in your head if you're not able to like forgive yourself I suppose and so that's probably the, I mean, I've worked pretty hard at that, in particular, that, that sense of forgiving yourself for things. Um, and when you can do that, you can, there's that closure, no matter what's happened with the situation, it's like, you can admit wrongdoing and say, yeah, it's all right, it's gone, it's over now, and move past it.
2: Yeah. I mean, you see that guilt complex a little bit in the record too, in terms of stuff like straight face, which is about you falling out of love with someone else, but there's nothing. There's nothing to. There's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. Yet the song is written from a very kind of guilty perspective and feeling ashamed about it.
1: For me, that's definitely just a case. I mean, I was a pretty religious upbringing, and religion is fantastic at making you feel guilty about shit. It's kind of what it's based off, actually. You know, the fear of like retribution, the fear of hell or whatever is like basically this like fire underneath everyone to basically trick you into you know paying money or whatever but that sense of guilt is something that like drives people in religion really strongly i think um and you know not to say that that's what it, everyone's experience is and there's joy in certain things like religion for sure but that sense of guilt is like a powerful way of controlling people and if you don't have control over it yourself yeah you it definitely will like rule you i think
2: just putting those emotions into your music kind of give you more control over them in a way, it
1: definitely allows you to um, sort of wrap up little moments and little thoughts and make them more concise, as opposed to just dwelling on them. Uh, yeah, and in, that's a sense of control, I suppose. But also, yeah, being able to just throw the throw the eternal apology out there, I suppose, it just sits there on tape now forever. I can I can sort of stop saying it and feeling it. There's something amazing in that. But also, you know, if I had the chance again, maybe I would have. I wouldn't have been so I suppose, like, self-deprecating, you know. I feel like maybe there was not as much need for that as I thought at the time.
2: But then that's honest to you at that moment.
1: Definitely, yeah, that's true. I suppose, though, certain people have moments in their life that they are no longer in, and they just didn't happen to, you know, put the whole thing in, in, in a record or something, Where it's now just, like, there forever.
2: <laughs> when, did you, um, when did you start to move away from religion? I moved out of home when I was 17, but probably for the last year and
1: a half of that, two years of that, I was pretty much fully off it but still very still in the church and under that sort of in that within that religious household that I was raised in um but you know I figured out there was something pretty sus about the whole thing and probably 13 14 and just I guess was at odds with myself there was a bit of a battle inside where I was figuring out you know was it possible that this whole sort of infrastructure around me this family and this church and my school and all these things like could they all be a bit like wrong maybe that's quite like a massive thing to come to terms with as a kid as your worldview has been so strongly shaped and that for so long I suppose it just took a while to be sure of that
2: especially when you're like 13 14 already there's quite a lot of teenage angst and kind of alienation floating around yeah that's
0: sort of Caleb and I actually went to the same school same religious school up in Geraldton I had the advantage of only being there for two and a half three years so I waltzed in as like a self-identified Christian when I was 15 or so and the moment I sort of spent more than a month there, I immediately became obnoxious atheist teenager who wants to argue with the religious ed teacher every Monday (laughs) or whatever. And, you know, I pretty much as soon as I saw the wagon, I jumped off it and ran as far away as I could. Um, but I didn't have that sort of pretty extreme upbringing, um, with regards to religion. My relationship was always one of distance where it was like, Yeah, I guess I'm Christian because, you know, we go to church every six months or so. That's sort of, that was it when I was a kid. And yeah, seeing it in full force, I think for me, yeah, seeing like really, really young kids engaged with it made me a bit uncomfortable, I think, because I was, I had the idea at that time that maybe if you're six years old, you don't really know what any of this stuff means. And then seeing, because it was a P12 school, so seeing, you know all the age brackets through the whole process sort of under the same thing under the same spell i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feels like a pretty silly way to put it but at the same time seems kind of appropriate
2: a little bit culty
0: a really like bizarre thing i guess but i, I don't want to be that guy and, an extreme so, like, world, religion's but... cult because it's definitely yeah it's definitely not I and mean, i guess it was just it was very alienating for me at the time when I was that age
1: and I think like religion generally has religious institutions tend to have like a softened or watered down version of what a, what the issue with a cult is and that's that like desire to yeah ostr- ostracise you and isolate you so that when you're you know in a in your weaker place as a human being and you have people around you that are saying like we're your friends like we're your family uh, there's that sort of like you sort of feel like you have nowhere to go I guess and when you're in that position, that you sort of they control you as a person, as an individual, and I guess it's, it's only when that becomes like extreme that people that it's cult-like. But you know, a, a watered-down version of that is like many Pentecostal and Evangelical churches throughout you know Australia at least, and you know the Bible Belt in the US. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK over there. But.
2: It's kind of waning a little bit here. Mm.
1: Definitely the same. i say same, a little yeah. bit, a lot. A lot, yeah, for sure. I guess you guys have that sort of <laughs> a much stronger sort of, um, there's a Catholic and Protestant history there, whereas Australia is a little bit detached from that because we're not as old, I suppose, culturally, in you know Anglo, in the
2: Anglo sense. Yeah. Does Australia, I mean, were you Catholic or Protestant? I mean, it would, I think it would be
1: called Protestant. It's like, yeah, not Catholic. It's, it's uh, evangelical, like sort of very much like Bible Belt USA, sort of like, speaking in tongues, like that whole thing, you know, laying hands and that sort of pretty full on shit. Why well,
2: actually did you have an experience of speaking in tongues? Because I've never really, what exactly is that like? I mean, I I used to
1: like do it, you know, I'm pretty sure. I was up until the age of 15 or 16 and I honestly don't know what it was. If it was like, if I just learnt to to say something to try and to try and do it or if I genuinely was in some way, I mean, because it's supposed to be that it's like the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, obviously. That's like the whole gist of it, especially in the religion that I was in. But, um, you know, I think you tend to do a lot of things to to fit in when you're in that environment. Um, So looking back on it now, I just have no idea what it is. But everyone around me, all the adults around me, they all did it all the time. It was a consistent sort of thing. No one really, when they prayed, it wasn't like in Catholicism or, you know, where you sort of have a... The certain prayers that are recycled there'd be, be like no sense to them whatsoever it would just be speaking in tongues
2: it's tapping into something it's interesting
1: i mean it, it definitely is you know like i felt things in those moments sometimes in church where i was like i felt like i was being taken over by something but then it's funny since i've had that since i've left that experience like all that institution i've had like experiences that concerts and watching films that have actually have just been the same you know and it's like oh actually maybe this is just something inside me like it's a like a sense of uh like wonderment or awe or whatever but it doesn't have to be like connected to anything spiritual like it's just something inside you that you allow yourself to feel in certain moments
2: do you ever miss that feeling of faith and that kind of assurance everything's going to be all right you know when you're completely invested in it
1: i never felt like everything was going to be all right i guess even when I did have that faith, like it didn't give me that sense of assurance, even though it was supposed to. I just, I always, I remember always being at, feeling like that was kind of like bizarre. Like all these people in like my church and stuff, which is like brutally poor. And there was like so much family breakdown going on and like just shit situations all around us. And like no amount of faith was gonna fix that. And so I didn't really feel like that was very real to
2: me. Was that a similar thing for you, Kieran?
1: Well,
0: one thing for me, that I would sort of envy from people who are particularly religious is I don't really know how to deal with the concept of death as a human being. I have no idea what to make of it. And having only just started experiencing, you know, deaths in the family, things like that. It's just like, if you can just sort of close your eyes and, and think that maybe they're waiting up there for you, that's a much more comfortable way to go about it than to sort of, taken the assumption that you make when you're rejecting religion and uh just you know there's nothing so mm. that takes the finality out of it like, damn yeah yeah
2: what are your views on it now what do you think happens what's your feelings on
0: it? uh avoid thinking about it mostly <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> so. i don't really know i i guess i haven't become any more or less spiritual throughout my like years as an act like an adult right like since leaving school or coming to uni and I haven't really thought about it much beyond the fact that I don't want the people around me to die. And I also myself don't want to die. That's sort of it. That's that's where my my thoughts and feelings on the matter end. I haven't really... It's not like I'm I'm looking for answers on it. So it's just going to stay the same until I do. And whether looking for answers for that is how people come to religion, I guess I can understand that. But until I lose the bad taste in my mouth from the sort of... Experiences that I've had and those around me have had with it, I don't see myself going there. So,
1: for me, there's a lot of um, a lot of trauma and things like that tied into it, I suppose. And the bad taste in the mouth is, um, like you know, alive and well, and it doesn't like sort of haunt me or stay with me. But the thought of, I guess, considering it, even just like thinking about it, like what 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 is real spiritually, is kind of difficult when. Any sort of spiritual interaction you had, you know, when I was younger, was like quite frightening and absolute. You know, so it's like this idea of heaven and hell and wrong and right. And so, to like dive back into it is to first to, I have to like neglect or reject all of those the ideology that comes with it, I suppose. And that's not something that I really feel like doing at this point. So I mean, my feelings on like spirituality are, I guess, you know, up in the air. To, to say that I've been able to think about it long enough to decide one way or another is, yeah, isn't true I suppose
2: you know when you're growing up in religion is that then that you kind of centre your or you're encouraged to centre your life around does that almost increase the search for something else to centre your life around is that what maybe kind of pulls you towards creativity and towards art and towards music yeah that's a good question I feel like
1: maybe the suppression of parts of yourself because of or well, at the hands of religion maybe um, create this real desire to uh, break away from any structure and any molds that might have been put on you in that age, um, and I suppose like you know like institutionalized like education and things like that. Going to uni and feeling like you should go and get a job at a certain law firm or mining company or something like they kind of sometimes they they might look the same way as what a, a religious experience looks like to me as a kid, and so yeah, to, in a sense, I suppose is that desire to just reject anything I'm told I should do or I need to do and just do what I want to do. And that's always it's been for the last sort of five or six years. I've been conscious of like being considerate of what I think the right choices in life are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can see how a traumatic experience through religion would leave you wanting to avoid organizations and institutions that sort of resemble some like really top down authority based you know environment i i personally never had a plan for what i wanted to do and i've sort of been ad-libbing everything since i was like 17 and moved down for uni <laughs> and never really had a solid conception of um i guess my identity as like a, a person who goes to work you know i i just fucking had no clue and was just flailing and that even showed when i graduated i, I sort of just threw everything at, at the band um on the management side as well as the performing side and and just sort of was very aimless for I would say like 12 months there before we started really touring and 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 picked up sort of nationally here. I honestly don't know what I would have done if not for the band. I, I did a marketing degree, you know, like I, I was primed to go work as like a mid-level marketing manager or something and I don't know if I wanted that at the time. It would have just been the natural progression of like, I was 17, I went to uni, I finished my degree, holy shit, what now, you know? I never really took the time, so I'm very grateful that this band for the last three years has very much given me that time to sort of work out what the hell I want to do with myself. Just so happens, this is it, so convenient, (laughs) really.